everyone, and welcome back to The Circle Opens, a podcast devoted to a chapter-by-chapter review of Stephen King's The Stand. Do you need an affordable source for Stephen King books, movies, collectibles, and more? Make sure to visit Secondhand Bookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. Listeners can use the coupon code THECIRCLE for 20% off their order at any time, and there's always free shipping within the United States. They have The Stand, It, Carrie, Salem's Lot, and many more popular titles in stock. So be sure to check out secondhandbookery.etsy.com. So happy Saturday, everybody. Um, Before we start talking about Chapter 12 of The Stand, uh, I just want to go over some news that came out Thursday about the CBS All Access adaptation. And first of all, CBS All Access officially confirmed the casting of James Marsden, Odessa Young, Henry Zaga, and Amber Heard. And we already kind of knew this thanks to Josh Boone's Instagram page, uh, but now it is officially official. And we're still waiting on confirmation of Greg Kinnear as Glenn. Uh, I think the last time I heard anything about that uh, was when it first came out that he was in negotiations. But other than that, um, and then Marilyn Manson saying that he had a role in the series, there really hasn't been any more casting news or rumors. So hopefully we'll be getting that sometime soon. Um, I just saw on Josh Boone's Instagram this week that they were in Vegas scouting, which was pretty awesome. I loved the photos that he had posted. So if you haven't seen those, hop on over to Instagram. Uh, his Instagram handle is Josh Boone Movies. And Secondly, uh, news came out Thursday that Stephen King was going to write a continuation of The Stand for the series. And essentially, the last episode is going to show us what happened to the survivors in Boulder. Uh, And King tweeted around 10 p.m. Thursday night saying, quote, The script for that final episode is written. I was glad Josh Boone gave me the chance because that final story has been in my head for 30 years. So it sounds like the final episode is done, and King wrote it himself. Um, I could not be more pleased with this news. I have spent the last 24 years wondering what happened to everybody and what the country would be like um, after the events of the novel. King once said that he had a story in his mind that Stu and Franny had headed back to Maine, Um, I believe Franny was pregnant with Stu's baby this time, and she falls down a well. So I'm wondering if that will be incorporated into the final episode, or if King had something else in mind that he ran with. Um, It doesn't sound like he's changing the ending. Um, I keep reading that, oh, Stephen King is rewriting the ending of The Stand for the series, and I feel like that could be a little misleading. Um, he's not changing the ending. He's adding on to the ending. He's simply uh, picking up where the book left off. Um, so I guess technically, yes, that's changing the ending. But I, I didn't want people to think that, you know, he was going to change what happened in Vegas or um, what had happened to people. So I am so excited for this, you guys. I can't um, barely contain myself. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I'm excited to see how the story ends through the series And supposedly this is a substantial plot. This is not just going to be a quick epilogue to tack on after the final episode. So this is something um, amazing for us King fans to look forward to. And before I just continue to gush about this for the next 45 minutes, let's get that all out of the way. And let's just do a quick recap of chapter 11. 
Last week, Larry and his mom had an eye-opening conversation about Larry's character after he spends the evening getting wasted and spending the night with an oral hygienist named Maria. Alice, his mother, tells Larry that he's a taker. Essentially, he's selfish. Uh, She's not sure Larry can change who he is, but she still loves him. The chapter ends with Larry catching a movie as he waits for his mom to finish up at work. And in the theater, sitting behind Larry, a man begins to cough, signaling that Captain Trips has reached New York City. And today, in chapter 12, we are back in Maine with Fran Goldsmith. The last time we saw Fran was episode episode 6, chapter 6, where she told her father, Peter, that she was pregnant and ultimately came to the decision that she didn't want to have an abortion or give the baby up for adoption. Peter worried about how this would affect Fran's education and her future, but they put off talking about it for a couple of days, including telling her mother. So here we are in a gun quit with Fran. She's sitting in her mother's parlor, and it's a room that Fran never liked and, quote, on days like today, actively hated. Fran has a lot of memories of this parlor, um, but her favorite room in the house is her father's workshop, which is located in a shed that connects the house and the barn. She thinks about this small door to the workshop that's beside their uh, um, kitchen stove, and it's it's a door that is small enough that she now has to duck to go through it. It's about five feet high, and she thinks of this door as her Alice in Wonderland door one that would lead her from Wonderland to Hobbiton, of all places, and a tunnel that led to Bag End, where Bilbo Baggins was preparing for his 111st birthday. And I just, I love this imagery. It shows us Fran's expansive imagination, taking something so simple as a door leading to her favorite place in the house and making it into this entryway to fantasy. Um, The workshop is described as smelling of wet soil and damp, dust and oil, and it's full of her father's tools and gadgets, um, nails and sandpaper with uh, very minimal lighting. And I could just perfectly imagine this room. I could imagine the smell of it. Um, Way back in the day, uh, it kind of reminds me of how um, in one of the houses my family and I lived in, the garage, you could kind of smell that oil. And just that musty smell of tools and tool benches. And um, so Fran thinks of the tobacco smell that lingered there as well and how integral that is um, or was to her childhood. And her father has always enjoyed her company in the workshop, even while her mother screamed at her to get out and change her school clothes before she got filthy. Fran has always preferred the workshop to her mother's parlor, and there are some very acute contrasts to how the workshop made Fran feel compared to the parlor. Quote, If the workshop was the goodness of childhood, symbolized by the phantom smell of her father's pipe, he sometimes puffs smoke gently into her ear when she had an earache, always after extracting a promise that she couldn't tell Carla, who would have had a fit, then the parlor was everything in childhood you wished you could forget. Peter is the laid-back parent. He's firm but understanding, and he's very easygoing and loving with Fran. And Carla is tense and always nitpicking something, always criticizing Fran for embarrassing her or picking at her clothes, wearing the wrong ensemble, and she should only speak when spoken to, etc., etc. And Fran thinks of the parlor as, quote, where you were tongue-tied. 
The parlor was where you itched and couldn't scratch. The parlor was dictatorial commands, boring conversation, relatives pinching cheeks, aches, sneezes that couldn't be sneezed, coughs that couldn't be coughed, and above all, yawns that must not be yawned. In this parlor is a grandfather clock that had been passed around Carla's family for generations, um, and it was built by Carla's grandfather, Tobias. Carla and Peter have had this clock for 36 years, and Fran knows it. It could be hers someday if she wants it, but she does not want this clock. And Carla is very concerned with image. The room is very prim and proper. Um, There's dried flowers under glass bells, a carpet that is described as dove gray with dusty pink roses, wallpaper with stencils of green leaves and pink flowers to match the carpet. Um, Carla had... This is how much Carla cares about um, her image of her parlor. Carla had Peter plant a hedge outside of the bow window when an Exxon gas station was built on the corner and she could see it from her parlor. And she had been obsessed with making the hedge grow faster until it finally blotted out the view of the gas station. So Fran's memories of the workshop are of Hobbiton in Wonderland and her father's pipe smoke. But her memories of this parlor are of peeing on the carpet when she was three years old and her mom shrieking at the sight of it, Um, of her mom lecturing Fran and Norman Burstein when Fran was six and was caught with Norman in the barn, quote, examining each other. And this prompted Carla to threaten to make Fran walk naked up and down U.S. Route 1. When Fran was 10, she had an accident on her bike and rode into a mailbox post. She bloodied her nose. She cut her head and her knees. Um, She came home crying, scared at how badly she was bleeding. And she would have gone to her dad first, but he was at work. So she stumbled into the parlor where her mom was entertaining two of her friends, uh, Mrs. Prynne and Mrs. Venner. Carla's initial reaction to seeing Fran in such a bloodied state was to scream at her to get out. But then she was embracing her and taking her into the kitchen where she could bleed on the floor without making a mess. And it's really interesting, the things that stick with us children, um, stuff that our parents have done or said to us. And Fran will always remember her mom's first words to seeing her bleeding um, from head to note, like her from her head and her nose, her knees. Her first words were get out and not anything remotely comforting um, because Carla's initial concern was for the parlor, not Fran. And, you know, it. Fran is not the only person who recognized this. Um, Carla's friend, Mrs. Prynne, had been appalled at Carla's reaction to Fran. And uh, Fran laments that after that day, Mrs. Prynne was rarely seen in the Goldsmith home. The parlor is the embodiment of every bad memory in Fran's life. It's where she sat whenever she got into trouble. Um, it's in the parlor is where they discussed Franny's ambitions, which always ended up feeling a trifle shallow. Discussed Franny's hopes, which always ended up seeming a trifle unworthy. It was there that they discussed Franny's complaints, which always ended up seeming very much unwarranted, not to mention pulling, whining, and ungrateful. But seemingly worse than all of that, um, the parlor was where her brother's coffin, Fred, her brother Fred, where his coffin had stood. Covered in flowers, the scent of which filled the room with a grandfather clock ticking away in the corner. 
And now it's also where Fran has told Carla that she's pregnant. Given the history of the parlor for Fran and her mother, it makes sense that bad news or what Carla would perceive as bad news would take place in the same room as all of Fran's other transgressions. Uh, Fran is waiting for her mother's reaction. At this point, we know that she's already said it to her. Um, Fran thinks to herself, in my father's workshop, there is a little girl in a red dress and she will always be there laughing and hiding under the table with the vice clamped to one edge or all bundled up with her scabby knees clasped against her chest behind the big toolbox with its thousand drawers. That girl is a very happy girl, but in my mother's parlor, there is a much smaller girl who can't help but can't help piddling on the rug like a bad dog, like a bad little bitch puppy. And she will always be there, too, no matter how much I wish she would be gone. Carla asks Fran how it happened, which is what Jesse asked her as well. And it pisses her off just as much now as it did when Jesse asked. Um, she is a bit sarcastic in her reply that her mother has had two kids, so she should know how it happened. Um, needless to say, Carla is not taking the news well. Because how could Fran do this to them? She accuses Fran of being a bad girl. And it's like Fran is the first person in Carla's family tree to ever make a mistake. The scene turns ugly with Carla sobbing and calling Fran a bad girl. It's like it's like Fran is eight years old again. She's a bad girl. Um, when Fran turns to leave, she trips and knocks her head on the coffee table. In the process, she accidentally knocks over a vase of flowers, spilling the water out onto the rug. And this is the moment Carla has been waiting for. She jumps at it. She screams at Fran for spoiling her mother's rug. And what else is she going to do now? Carla tells Fran she won't board and free feed her. And Fran says she'll go stay with friends. Um, she tells Carla it's none of her business what she ends up doing. Carla responds by calling Fran an ungrateful little bitch. And just like Jesse, Carla slaps her. She tells Fran she'll never finish school. And now she'll have to marry Jesse. But Fran holds firm. She says she's not quitting school and she's not marrying Jesse, which has Carla immediately assuming that Fran is going to have an abortion because God forbid there be any other choice. Um, she calls her daughter a murderer as well as a tramp. Fran explains that she'll take the spring semester off but finish school in the summer. And she tells Carla she could use support, but she doesn't need the money. Peter interrupts this argument. Um, he is infinitely more calm than Carla, given how he has already known this uh, for a few days, that they were going to be grandparents. And that word just seems to enrage Carla further. Um, the personality clashes of Carla and Peter are never more evident than in this scene. Carla wants to deal with Fran on her own. Um, she tries to shut Peter out of the parlor, but he will not budge. And she begins to scream at him, completely unhinged, until Peter slaps her. And the room is thrown into stunned silence. Um, but Peter tells Carla that she's had it coming for 10 years or better. He tells Carla, quote, I always told myself I didn't do it because I don't hold with hitting women. But when a person, man or woman, turns into a dog and begins to bite, someone has to shy it off. I only wish, Carla, I'd had the guts to do it sooner. It would have hurt us both less. You say she's being selfish, Peter said, still looking down into his wife's still shocked face. You're the one doing that. 
You stopped caring about Franny when Fred died. That was when you decided caring hurt too much and decided it'd be safer just to live for yourself. And this is where you came to do that time and time and time again. This room. You doted on your dead family and forgot the part of it still living. When she came in here and told you she was in trouble, asked for your help, I bet the first thing that crossed your mind was to wonder what the ladies in the Flower and Garden Club would say or if it meant you'd have to stay away from Amy Lauder's wedding. Hurt's a reason to change, but all the hurt in the world don't change facts. You have been selfish. Peter admits that he's been selfish too by not making her see it, since he didn't want to cause problems or rock the boat. Peter tells Carla that Fran will get the help she needs from him, including a place to stay and money. Carla will throw Fran a proper baby shower, and if they christen the baby, it'll be christened christened in the parlor. This is where Carla seems to snap back to reality after being slapped by her husband, and she tells Peter that his son lay in his coffin in this room. Peter remembers. He says, I can't think of a better place to christen a new life. Fred's blood, live blood. Fred himself, he's been dead a lot of years, Carla. He was worm food long since. But the worms haven't got your daughter and your daughter's baby. It don't matter how it was got, it's alive. You act like you want to drive her off, Carla. What will you have if you do? Nothing but this room and a husband who'll hate you for what you did. If you do that, why, it might as well just have been the three of us that day. Me and Franny, as well as Fred. Carla does not take kindly to these words. She is of the mind now that Peter and Fran have worked it all out in their head that they'll destroy her in this town. She's angry, and she tells Fran to just throw mud on the carpet of the parlor, throw ashes onto the clock. She leaves sobbing and laughing, completely hysterical, and heads upstairs to her bedroom. Peter believes that Carla will come around, but Fran doesn't think so. She wants to leave, but Peter asks her to stay. Because Carla will realize that she needs Fran, just like he does. Fran apologizes for everything, but Peter simply tells her that he loves her. And this brings us to the end of chapter 12. And this was a very brutal scene emotionally. Um, We begin with Fran's loving memories of her father's workshop. And we already saw how he handled the news when she informed him of her pregnancy. He was honest with his thoughts disappointed that she may not finish school if she keeps the baby but he was understanding and supportive and he listened to her without judgment carla is not understanding and she is very judgmental she makes it all about her um, asking fran asking how fran could do this to her after all they've done for her um she seems almost malicious and gleeful that fran won't be able to finish school Uh, It's interesting that she's angry about this pregnancy and how it will affect her image in town, but when she thinks Fran will get an abortion, she calls Fran a murderer. So for Fran, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. An abortion would be murder, but keeping the baby would ruin everybody. Um, Even as Fran explains that she wants to keep the baby, Carla refuses to help her. So it's just like, Nothing Fran can choose to do is going to help. Her mother is going to damn her for getting pregnant in the first place. And that's what it comes down to. Um, King does an excellent job painting the picture of the parlor. It feels stuffy and intimidating. 
and overwhelming and stifling. Um, it's interesting that the things that we have in life, um, we the things that trigger our memories in life, um, trigger our emotions, um, whether it's a smell or a song or a place. For Fran, it's this parlor. Nothing good has ever happened in this parlor. Um, she's been lectured. She's been yelled at. Her, her brother's funeral was held in this parlor. Her mother's annoyance and anger with Fran are all wrapped up in this one room. And this is the parlor where Fran realized her mom cared more about her room, that room, than she did for her. And that's a traumatizing thing for any child to have to feel. Uh, Fran is a bit sassy at the beginning when she asks her, uh, when her mom asks her how the pregnancy happened. But after that, she's very upfront and honest about her plans. And she doesn't sink down to Carla's level of belittling. You can tell Fran just wants to flee from the scene. Um, and thankfully, Peter interrupts being the voice of reason. He takes over this conversation. And he puts Carla in her place. But Carla is not responsive in any kind of positive way to what he says to her. Um, and my heart really breaks for Fran in this chapter. It reminds me of ch chapter 6 when Peter explains how carefree and vibrant Carla used to be. How much like Fran Carla used to be um, before Fred's death. And how losing her son changed her. And you can only imagine how Carla might have reacted to the news if Fred hadn't died and they were still a complete family unit. The grief from losing her child hadn't made her, if the grief from losing Fred hadn't made her so unfeeling and cold, maybe she would have been thrilled to find out she was going to be a grandmother. Um, I can understand, you know, that time of, uh, you know, unwed mothers, yada, 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 but maybe the conversation hadn't, wouldn't have gone so terribly. The important thing here is that Peter is there for Fran, even if Carla won't be. And I don't foresee any touching family moments <laughs> coming up between Fran and her mother. Um, you know, Peter thinks Carla will come around. Um, but given how many years has gone by with him biting his tongue, with how horrible Carla has been. I don't, you know, like Fran, I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and I don't blame Fran for being pessimistic about that. The question is, um, what will come of this family now that the super flu is spreading so close to Maine? Um, will Fran lose both of her parents? Um, what about her baby? Will she and Carla make amends before the flu hits the fan? I guess we're going to have to wait and see because next week we're going back to Atlanta to visit Stu Redman, who will finally get some answers from the people keeping him quarantined. Unfortunately, he's probably not going to like what he hears. But thank you guys so much for joining me for today's episode. If you have any thoughts on the chapter we just went over or any chapters prior, feel free to drop me a line at thecirclecloses at gmail.com. You can also find me on social media at The Circle Opens, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you're enjoying the podcast, it would be awesome if you headed to iTunes and left me a rating and or review. And that's it for today's episode. It's August now, and it feels like summer 
is starting to wind down, even though we have about a month and a half left officially of this season. And I hope you're all having a fantastic uh, summer. I hope you guys have a fantastic week. And M-O-O-N, that spells see you next week.